head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 284 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan and today I'm joined by Philip O'Connor for the first half of the podcast and I'll be popping on by myself in the second half of the podcast to talk about the fights which everyone has probably already watched uh, between the, the Korean Zombie and Brian Ortega and all the rest of them as well but recording the first part on Saturday just because I wanted to get given an extra little bit of time uh, to the big fights coming up next week and, and as I do that as I head on over to Phil here before we do that and before we discuss the big UFC card this week let me just introduce you to our sponsor for the podcast this week and it is my bookie so if you're thinking of betting on the fights this weekend if you feel like Habib is going to win if you feel like Justin Gaethje is going to win head on over to my bookie use the promo code severe MMA and whatever stake you place there it will be equaled by my bookie so use that promo code severe MMA there are loads of MMA betting over there I was looking actually there earlier on they have uh, Premier League betting so if you fancy Man United after a great win here uh, against Newcastle to go next week I think they're playing PSG during the week they're playing Chelsea next week as well or if you fancy you know Lauren Murphy to win or Phil Hawes to win next week or ro- maybe Robert Whittaker I actually kind of fancy Robert Whittaker to, uh, to beat uh, Jerry Kanier and uh, you know that's kind of how I started off uh, in MMA as well we were talking about who we fancy to you know to win the fights and how, how my picks are going now my picks aren't as good as maybe they once were but if your picks are really good and you fancy winning some money head on over my bookie use the promo code severe mma and they will match your bet up to a thousand bucks so if you want to bet 25 quid you'll match that want to bet 100 quid they'll match that all the way up until a thousand bucks so head on over there my bookie use the promo code severe mma help us Help you, my bookie, promo code severe MMA. Phil, how are you? How are things? I'll, I'll tell you something, actually. I have a really sore shoulder. I heard to playing gaily football about four weeks ago. Oh. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. And then yesterday, I was uh, I was teaching jiu-jitsu yesterday, right? And there's this girl, she's absolutely brilliant. You know? So she'll be getting her grey belts. She, she's only about 13. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, well, i got three stripes of belts. Why, why don't I have the fourth stripe? Why don't I get the... I said, well, we haven't really seen enough from you uh, in terms of stand-up, you know? So she got the black belt in the class. I didn't see this. Like the black belt was running the class and she threw him. And then she got me and I'm like 90 kid. And she fucking threw me. I was going, Whoa, hold on a second. You know, she wanted to show us her stand up. So it turns out she did six years of judo, but she landed oh, yeah. me on me poxy shoulder anyway. So, but that, that, that taught me anyway. So she's getting her belt soon enough anyway, you know? There, there's nothing worse than a bad shoulder. Does. I've been struggling with a bad shoulder myself oh. for about three years now, but... Uh, yeah, well, it's just, it's one of those things as well. It's like a magnet for force. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't matter. You open a door, bang. You know, you lie yeah. down to bed, bang. You roll over at night, bang. You know, so it's, it's going to take ages. And then, of course, I'm an old grey man at this stage as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so it's, uh, all these things take Yeah, not, not like John Terry back in the day anymore. You recover a broken leg. Ah, I'll be back in two weeks. Be grand. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> those days are long gone, oh, no, I'm afraid. You know, yeah. the injuries I had three years ago that still haven't healed, you know? Uh, they're, they're gone for me, too. Come here to me. The first thing, actually, I, want to, I wanted to discuss with you, maybe just a brief thing although it's probably a, a conversation we could have over like two hours but before yeah. we get into 
UFC 254. You know, you mentioned they're kind of training and training with young people coming up and stuff. And I, myself and, and Andy and Graham have talked about it in the last few weeks with kind of Irish MMA coming back. And even over the last few years, after the the death of Jar Carvalho and Irish MMA kind of getting getting held back a bit after that, you know, and with, you know, no one to blame or anything like that, but just because of one thing or another. But now, obviously, the pandemic is here. And that has been the case all over the world for... Not we can forget about a second for the likes of Habib and McGregor and John Jones and Adesanya and all those, <laughs> but the likes of someone who might be only you know two amateur fights in, or might be one pro fight in, or might be just making their pro debut, or you know even all sports, even you know a nineteen year old who signed for for Liverpool or Man United, or a fourteen year old <laughs> who signed to go into the you know to the academy. What do you think? Um, will be the long-lasting effect of the, that pandemic on sports in general. Like, I feel... I, I don't know, I was thinking about it last night. It was, it was weird. I, I don't know why it kind of popped into my head, but, like, I feel like this will have... You know, in sports, sometimes we hear this thing, and especially in, in GAA, that'll set them back 10 years. And I'm like, right, it probably won't. It's a lot of bullshit. But I feel like this is a big, big setback for sports at all levels on the way up. Maybe not the very top level, because those people can kind of get it back, and they have had more training and more games and stuff than maybe the, the lower levels. But what what do you think the long-lasting effect from that MMA and other sports will be as well? Well, I think, you know, if you look at COVID-19 in general, I think nothing is ever going to be the same again, because we just, we have to change the way we do our absolutely everything you know a year ago if you saw a person on the street wearing a mask what you were looking at essentially was an Asian tourist because nobody in Europe wore masks for any reason and I think we actually took it up as being about oh they think we're you know going to infect them with something but I think at that level that you're talking about so the mid-level you know the the semi-pro the amateur athletes Mm -hmm. the person who's trying to get somewhere in their career uh, they've lost six months of development you know so it took us a long long time to work out how to get you know these protocols that would allow you to train right and sports like Gaelic football and hurling in Ireland where you're talking about you field a team of 15 people that's a lot of people same thing in rugby you know the idea that we had to break these things down into pods you know um, if you go into a gym a jiu-jitsu class if you go into an MMA class and there's 20-30 people there and you're moving around sparring with maybe 6 or 7 of those people you're doing drills with 6 or 7 of those people all that cannot really be done safely at the moment now I know gyms are open again and I'm back training again and there's no restriction on it but for a good while there we did have pods where we say okay you go to a class and there's 3 yeah, and you work on every drill in 3's and you only spar with those other 2 people at the end of the class and then you know you get in your car and you go home and you shower at home because we want to like you know limit the amount of time mm-hmm. you spend together so i think there's an enormous effect on that and then there is you know what i call the sliding doors effect sean right mm-hmm. imagine the changes that people are going to make in their lives you know they, like like you say you could have been on the verge of uh, like Brenda Lochnan with a professional fight league. Now, he might go back to being, you know, whatever he did before mm-hmm. because, you know, I can't make a living. I have to do something, you know? So, so many people who might have been looking at it, they might have had a sponsor who was on the hook for 20, 10, 20, 30 grand, which is not a whole lot of money, but life-changing money for somebody who wants to, tra- to train full-time, yeah. you know? And then on the other hand, you see Liam McCord coming out last week. I thought that was a very positive thing, what she did with Bellator uh, when she went on the BBC and, you know, she was out there talking about the sport because you mentioned Joao Cavallo because we have to look back at all these things over time. And I think I think that, I mean, the great sense of satisfaction that I get out of, you know, doing jiu-jitsu is great, but I'm, I'm 50. I'm not going to ADCC. I'm not doing any of these things, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's passing it on to the next generation. It's taking this love of it that I've gotten from, you know, people like Andrew McGahan, Christian Graugart, uh, the Blackbirds, uh, Stephen Antonio at Aero Club, and then passing it on to these young people and seeing them grow and seeing their confidence grow and their skill level grow. There's a young girl that I trained with. Her father died and she trained the following day. 
And she said, I said, well, you know, you're okay to be here. And she said, well, what else am I going to do? And she got her orange belt there. She completely skipped the gray belt. So it goes from white to gray to orange. And she completely skipped it because of her dedication to train. And that's what keeps me coming back. Now it might be, you know, that 25,000 sponsorship contract, but we like everything else with COVID, we have to find a way back into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know an awful lot more now than what we did back in February and March when this was kicking off, when we were looking at the UFC, when we were wondering what the hell was going on with testing and with Fight Island and with Bubbles. We've seen the NBA, uh, they played out their entire season in a bubble in Florida. Now, the players hated it because they were away from their, their families. Yeah. I know a player plays professional basketball in Russia. He hasn't seen his kids in ages. All these things are going to change. You know? So what we need to do is like, slowly but surely get back in there. But absolutely, there's going to be a huge effect. But I don't know if we're going to be able to say what that effect is, You know, maybe five years before we actually know. And then again, of course, there are parts which you'll never know. Could this guy have been the next Mohamed Salah? Could the, you know, if it wasn't for VAR, who knows? You know? Yeah, and I, like I think the thing about it is like you, you mentioned Brendan Lachlan there, and I like the way you pronounce his name correctly. Most people don't. But, uh, <laughs> like if he was by himself for the next three months, you'd probably see him afterwards, and he'd have a six pack, and he'd be fit, and he, you know he'd probably have a, a, a boxing bag up in his uh, up in his gym, or he might have like one person with him, and he might be able to train jujitsu. And okay, he mightn't be the same fighter. He mightn't be the same. You know, he might need a twelve week camp to get back into it. But it's he's not going to regress. You know, I was t- talking to someone like Brian Moore a while back that kind of thing benefits him because he's used to that and he got maybe more time to do it uh, and, and to improve his game but yeah. someone th- that's grand for those people who are you know may- maybe you know you may mention Mo Salah maybe even he'd be grand or you know the, 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 the players at the top but I think you know as you mentioned there the people who need the guidance of a coach you know they might need uh, you know if you're in Ireland you're in SPG you might need John Kavanagh to, to put you say you're doing jiu-jitsu Monday you're doing striking and Tuesday you're doing this and Thursday and you're conditioning and all and they don't have that when they're at home and maybe they don't have the equipment they don't have the training partners and they don't have the minds whether you're under you know Rafael you know Carvalho or whoever you might be under you know uh, training in America or training in Brazil or Sweden or wherever you might be and it's yeah as you said it will take time to see that but (laughs) another big issue as well maybe and we move on from this in a second but with those promotions and those feeder leagues maybe are not even feeder leagues but the the leagues that feed the feeder leagues even are they going to be able to survive not and not only are they going to be able to survive but are they going to be able to put on shows in the next you know year or whatever it might be and well, I think, if, I think the, yeah, yeah the, the one I felt sorry for sorry for cutting across your yeah, right. the one I felt sorry for at the beginning of this it wasn't for Dana White or it wasn't for Scott Coker mm-hmm. I was looking at Graham Boyle and, and going oh I hope you have money in the bank yeah. because it's going to be a long time before we're going to see a Cage Warriors card now they came back they staged three cards I think they actually staged the very last card before I think was that a mm-hmm. card in Manchester, yeah, Manchester they staged yeah. and then Okay, locked down then at midnight and it was brilliant but you know the thing is that it's so hard for somebody like that in an independent essentially what is entertainment slash sport you know to survive through this thing because all you need you have to have money you know you're trying to look after people Graham's a very good guy at the end of it you know he wants Paddy Pimler to be still getting paid to be able to train to survive you know and there's a huge emotional burden there's a huge financial burden on people like that so you know below Graham's level I would say people are struggling you know I mean I'm thinking about Andy Ryan now in Dublin who's you know he's put on small shows before he's not dependent on that but you know, there'd be a certain amount of income from the gym. Uh, how are they dealing with rent? You know, how is he paying for the space that he has? You know, and those things mount up very, very quickly. You know, so that's a really, really difficult thing. And if you cut off that supply, then you know, because the, the one thing about jujitsu or the one thing about you know kickboxing or whatever it happens to be, you got to be in the room. You know, you got to see the footwork. You got to put the reps in. You know, it's a sometimes you, your your problems. And I mean, like uh, this as somebody who both teaches and is taught jujitsu. Like I can see things straight away, but I can't see them. You know, on on a webcam. 
down. I can't do that in a Zoom call. And the same thing, people can't do that for me. It's only when you're in the position, you know, um, and there's a thing in jiu-jitsu called the knee shield, right? Which is where you get your, your knee, basically. You put it on the chest of the person who's coming at you from the top, right? Mm-hmm. And th- what you do next is all dependent on the angle of your knee in relation to the ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard. You know, I, I can show you in 10 seconds what I mean by that on a mat. But, you know, if I was to try to do it here in the show, you know, the two of us would be driven off the wall. And at the <laughs> end of it, you probably still wouldn't know, you yeah. know? But, but that's the thing. And you need to be people to be in there. You need to feel that pressure. You need to feel those things. And especially the other thing is, is footwork and boxing is just, it's so, at the, at the highest level at the higher levels it's so technical and so intricate and it's so so to do with it sort of balance and you know where your weight is at any given time you can't do that you know mm-hmm. and practicing yourself you tend to go into the same repetition 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 and that could be really really good repetition or if there's something flawed in it it could be really really bad as well you know yeah. so i really hope now that we can get to a situation whereby we have protocols in place where people can train properly i actually haven't spoken to a whole lot of fighters recently about like i wanted to talk to chumayev before he went down to fight island but i never got hold of him but i'm actually going to go into all-stars to see how they're dealing with it not just for the classes of you know guys like me who turn up at lunchtime you know on a break from work but for Chimayev for Ila Latifi for Gustafsson you know guys who are actually depending on this to make their money yeah, and I think it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned there, uh, Jiu-Jitsu is one of those things where you need a person with you. And well, striking is as well, obviously, but I think there's more ways around striking uh, to to become ad- adepted or to, to keep up how good you are at it. And I think that's kind of showed in the UFC and in MMA in the last while. There's been a lot more submissions. And is that because Jiu-Jitsu has gotten better or because it's gotten worse? I, probably because it's gotten worse, I think. I think top-level Jiu-Jitsu, there's a lot less submissions. But, you know, this is the thing, but, because like, Jiu-Jitsu essentially at the very highest level is actually actually it's like it's not to do with technique it's all to do with timing you know and there's like when you start doing jiu-jitsu there are these windows open where people can attack you and you just get submitted the whole time but the closer you get to being a black belt and the better black belt you are those windows are infinitesimal right mm-hmm. everything that happens in jiu-jitsu happens in a transition somebody tries to do something and it goes wrong right and that's really where the gaps open up and if you watch anything in the ADCC that like 99% of the time it's not I'm going to do this technique and I'm going to methodically work there no it's a gap opens up and I'm going to go there right mm. now the likes of Gordon Ryan and that kind of thing they can force these things to happen absolutely but for 95% of us who do it it's something goes wrong in transition and you're able to exploit it right so you're always waiting on that with a sweep for instance you're waiting on somebody to give you something to put their weight in a certain place to give you a certain grip and then in that transition they're gone and that, that's one of those things that even really good black belts if they don't roll for six months or whatever and they'll tell you you know the black belt who teaches me was saying he tore a tendon in his arm and he said after six months that like you know he felt like a purple belt again because mm-hmm. I was like I was getting grips on him I was getting him into positions where I couldn't I couldn't hope to do it today because he's been back training for the last three or four months but in that tiny little window that I had there I had the time of my life you know I passed his guard once I think you know but that's you know when it comes down to that and that's like you say it is that lacking of sharpness that, that people really can't they're not at that high level where they're operating at the absolute highest level and you'll see that in Quintet and you'll see that in the various other uh, grappling competitions but you know I do think it's great to see because I mean it just goes to show that you know top level fights can still be won with Jiu Jitsu there's some valid Limerick says they can one UFC title fight <laughs> in the last 400 days has been won with Jiu Jitsu so yeah that's it zero, that's, zero that's a whole other podcast zero, in the last year zero heavyweight zero light heavyweight zero middleweight zero welterweight zero lightweight zero featherweight zero bantamweight zero women's featherweight zero women's bantamweight 
zero women's flyweight, zero in women's strawweight. Just the one for Davidson Figueiredo over Joseph Benavidez after he beat him around the cage and was almost a 10-7 with striking before he got him. So, yeah, you, did you just see at the top level? Mm, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> well, speaking of the top level, let's transition over and talk a little bit about Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. And it's funny, I, I watched a couple of their fights before we uh, we did this podcast and, and over the last few days as well. Um and looking at Habib Nurmagomedov entering the Dustin Poirier fight, you know, Habib, sometimes you look at him and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Russian fighters uh, down through the years coming from Fedor and things like that, they have been more about technique and like, you know, uh, <laughs> this is a weird one, but remember John Hayes who used to play for for uh, for uh, Munster and Limerick Man? Yes, he, yeah. he was a pure farmer strength. You know, I, I'd say John Hayes, if you got him into a gym, he mightn't, you know, he mightn't deadlift or he mightn't squat or whatever it might be as much as, as Jamie Heaslip or something like that. But give him a few fucking bells to lift and I'll tell you who'll be lifting them there. <laughs> I feel like the Russians are a little bit like that as well. They have, you know, they, they have the wrestling strength, the sambo strength and Habib yeah. has always been that. But looking at him entering that Dustin Poirier fight he looked you know he looked jacked he had a six pack he looked really really muscular you know he's always looked muscular but he looked a bit different for that I'm interested before we get into the fight in itself and everything like that how will Habib look just you know the eye test coming into this fight is is, is the thing might maybe not discuss much about Habib but also and we, we spoke about this before actually just after his father died uh, what's your take on that? Like he's he's obviously his father passed away, so he lost his one of his main trainers. Then he hasn't really. I don't think he has been in America at all with Javier Mendez. I know I, I'm pretty sure Javier is out there now in in Fight Island to corner him and everything like that. But when you you know you lose, I remember at the, the, the time GSP fought Carlos Condit, and obviously they both had trained under Greg Jackson, but uh, GSP had Faraz Sahabi as well, and he he kind of refused to give up. Um, Greg Jackson uh, to Carlos mm-hmm. Condit and you know because he, he wanted like he's two main trainers he said you know these guys are very important for us very ha- important and Greg Jackson important as well and if he didn't even want to lose one if Habib has lost two coming into this fight and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's other people and other trainers and other things there as well with him but for you looking at that like I, I'm a great one for looking at the fights and looking at past fights and maybe not looking at the, the training or what's coming up between and before it or anything like that that's i try to stay away from that but i know you like the, the kind of the inner stories of it how do you think that will will do you think it'll hurt to be but what way would you think it will affect him coming into this fight well i think i can refer back to something we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago about how opportunity occurs in transition and that's exactly what gaichi has here mm-hmm. because habib's his whole camp his whole life has been turned around in terms of not having his father there now he is the man of the house so to speak he's the the leader he's the figurehead of the Numagamelo family you know he doesn't have like because Habib's father was very much a patriarch, you know, and yeah. the patriarch is a very strong figure in in Russian country as as it is in many cultures. But he, you know, his word is law. You know, Habib was never going to say no, father, I don't want to do that. He just did what he was told, and you know, it was very much to his benefit in terms of growing up. So if you look back at those uh, videos of him resting a bear and everything else like that, you know, that is farmer strength right there. Yeah. It always struck me actually. I remember looking at a fight against Michael Johnson in uh, I think it was Madison Square Garden, and thinking now Habib looked human until he start to fight he looked like a regular bloke with a shirt off yeah. you know he's a bit pasty like us Irish lads you know and by god then he got in there and he was triangling up the legs and he was crawling up Michael Johnson and baiting the head off right in front of us there mm. and that was really like you know and you know you kind of Khabib was thinking okay I'm here to do a job it was just another body in front of him as Conor McGregor has often said but I do think that 
you're talking about a man now who was incredibly wealthy, right? Forget the purses, the disclosed purses, the UFC. That's not where the money is. It has become an absolutely huge thing for him, especially in, in the Middle East, in his home country, in Russia. You know, he's an independently wealthy man. He doesn't need to do this anymore. His father has passed away. He became the champion and he showed his father. His father was able to corner him once, wasn't he, in, in Abu Dhabi before he passed away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like, there wasn't a whole lot more to it. So I think he's, you know, what mountains are left to climb for Khabib? The only thing really now he's fighting is for is his father's memory and his legacy now sometimes we see fighters because this is a very very tough business Sean so you look at Connor's rise to the top of cage warriors into the UFC over those sort of two three four years when he was writing this fantastic story as it became right but it's so difficult to, to do what George St-Pierre did and to keep this going over time you know over a long time even Anderson Silva now it's kind of unfortunate there's loads of blokes I know who like they started watching Anderson Silva they think he's the absolute most fantastic thing that ever happened and yet, you know, because of the fact that people don't walk away when they're at the peak of their powers, you know, this is the thing with Khabib because every fight he takes now, it's like Floyd Mayweather boxing against Conor McGregor. It doesn't matter that Conor shouldn't even be in that ring with you. Everybody has a puncher's chance, you know. Mm-hmm. And with Khabib, you're going up against, like, this is not, you know, like Floyd against Conor here. He's going up against Justin Gaethje. This guy is, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, the second best lightweight, if not the best lightweight. That's what we'll find mm-hmm. out next week in the division. You know, mm-hmm. he's just like, at this point in time, he is undeniably at the very, very top of his game. And he's going up against somebody who may be on the downward curve. Now, it, it, the mentality that Khabib has, I usually tell the story, I think it was myself and Noel McGrath were over for the, the last Connor fight in Las Vegas and on the morning that they were weighing in uh, we arrived at the hotel we always arrive at the hotel well before the UFC tell us that we can be there you know mm-hmm. and we wander down and essentially it's a function room that's where the, the yeah. weigh-ins take place and then they have another function room across the hall and that's where the athletes are and that's where the, the actual sort of you know the, the bones of things take place you know so we were in the hotel there and we were in the corridor long before we should have been there the next thing the doors open at one function room and Khabib and the boys came out and he came and he looked at me and I did as I always do with everybody you know I did that sort of you know when you see somebody when you're driving on the road in Limerick mm-hmm. And you just sort of waved him. I just went, morning. <laughs> and he looked, at, he looked at me and his eyes were just buried in the back of his head because he was cutting weight and he was miserable. Yeah. And he kind of gave, and he did the most imperceptible of nods, you know, just to acknowledge the fact that I existed. But th- what that said to me, when he was looking at me there, he was just, he was in his place. He was in the zone now. It was kind of like, you know, you often see it when women go in to give birth, that they go into themselves. And that's just the most important thing in the world is what they are doing at that very moment, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not likening fighting to giving birth because I know fighting is a hell of, or sorry, giving birth is a hell of a lot more painful. But that's the, that thing of withdrawing into himself, you know. And I don't know at this stage that the coach thing is as important as we might make it out to be, right? Mm-hmm. Because what, what more are you going to tell Khabib at this stage in his career, right? Yeah. He knows he's not the greatest striker in the world. We know what his game plan is going to be. The whole world knows it. Justin Gaethje knows it, right? And the one thing that I would say that's in his favour there is that he looks at Justin's wrestling in his UFC career and it's not something that frightens him, you know? It's one of those things we've always wanted to see Gaethje, the wrestler, because, you know, that's essentially, you know, was one, one of the parts of his background that we've heard an awful lot about, but we've never really seen him do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do think that, you know, it's going to be very obvious very quickly, quickly if Khabib's heart is still in this because we've all seen fighters go in there knowing that they have an awful lot on the line and yet the, the, you know, the flame has gone out and you know let's not underestimate how much his father meant to him because if you look yeah. at the Instagram posts and the translations of them I think this is going to be one of those sort of watershed moments and again like we look at records and we say oh you know he's never lost a fight and that kind of thing and you know mm-hmm. if he had one blemish on his record you know and in MMA the great thing about most MMA people is that they will understand that one loss doesn't mean anything at all you know the, the fighter that he is and that he became like a loss 
boss is never going to tarnish that, you know, but some people will look at it and go that way. So I don't know, but we'll know very, very quickly. I'd say in the first minute or two when Justin Gaethje comes going forward and when he goes for that first takedown and we'll see if mm-hmm. it's the Khabib of old or if somehow the fire has gone out. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of points I want to hit on there and we'll get back to the actual goings of the fight in a minute. Uh, you, you said Gaethje, one or two in the world. I'm Two, three, four, or five, maybe. I think he's up there at the top five. But the thing with Habib, you you think he might be on the downward curve, and I think that's probably because of the maybe the preparations and uh, and things like that. But one thing I always found with Habib, or maybe not always found, but kind of have have thought about, because we, we look at MMA, right? And me and Graham have this ongoing joke, you know, the hashtag MMA retirements that no one can get away from MMA. You know, these guys, what are they? they're fighters? They they never give up. That's what they're they're taught to do. If they if people were giving up, if if you gave up, if you were a quitter, you would not be. At the top of UFC 254, on the main card, in a title fight, fighting Justin Gaethje or fighting Habib, you just wouldn't be. If you had that in you, you wouldn't get there. It's just a fact. And um, I, I feel like someone like... And that's why I think it's very hard for people to retire and people don't, you know, don't, um, you know, never retire in MMA. But looking at Habib, right... I, f- I feel like looking at him, he is one of these guys who, you know, and don't re- he probably won't retire either and he'll keep going because he's one of those guys as well. But he, there's some guys in sports, right? And you can see that they have a smile on their face when they're playing and they love playing. I, I think McGregor is one of those people and, you know, you saw soccer players down through the year, you know, Ryan Giggs was always an example to me. He, I t- Ronaldinho. Yeah, yeah, Ronaldinho always loved playing their sport and, you know, you see it, uh, you know, Andrew O'Shaughnessy played for Limerick, a great hurler. He, he used love playing his sport. People like that, but there's some people like Anthony Martial played for Man United. He does you know, he doesn't like it. If anyone's read Andre Agassi's book, he hated playing tennis. His father made mm. him do it. I feel like Habib is one of those people I don't think he enjoys it. I think he's one of those people who is just highly gifted. One of the greatest we've ever seen has been bred from the second he was born to be in this position. And I don't think he likes it. You know, I, I just don't. And that's why I feel like Habib might be one of these guys who doesn't keep fighting forever. Or as he's done for the last few years and, you know, most of his career, uh, once he's come to the UFC, is only fight irregularly, you know, fight once, twice a year. You know, obviously, the knee injuries and stuff have, have hurt that as well. But I think, like, that if that will eventually hurt you in your career. As, you know, a pandemic will hurt you, and you're obviously you're losing your, your father, who is your trainer, and then losing one of your other trainers in a different way because he, he can't be with you. That's all going to hurt you as well. So there's a thing, another thing in MMA, all your heroes... All of the people you think are the best, all of the people you think are unbeatable, will all be beaten. Every single one of them. Mm. Every one of them in MMA. And Habib will be beaten. Is this the time that Habib will be beaten? We, maybe we can get into that in a, in a second again. What do, you, what do you think of that? Like the, do, do, you think, like, do you see it the same as me? Maybe I'm wrong, but do you think Habib is one of these guys that is, is just a perfect fighter, but isn't the, the, the fighter who loves fighting as much as other people do? Oh, it, no, 100% do that. Like, you know, he he's not into the game. He's not into the trash talk. He just, it's embarrassing. You can see himself. He's trying to do what they're asking him to do. That it create, it's like, that's not him. You know, he wants to get in there. He wants to show his skills. And then he wants to go home to his wife and his children. And, and you know, when his father was alive, and just sort of, you know, sit by the campfire, or sit in somebody's house and drink tea and talk about these things and talk about wrestling, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, he finds this whole show thing, you know, it's entirely against, he's a very religious man. And most of it, you know, the whole idea of him even being in Las Vegas is just bananas when you 
you think of, of uh, how much into his religion he is. But the, the thing you were talking about there, about these guys being fighters, Sean, I think that's quite finite. I think that that's something that you can do for only so long. Yeah. And one of the things that started the pandemic, I went back and I was reading an awful lot about the history in particular of heavyweight boxing. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a lot about Muhammad Ali. And that was the same thing. I mean, I remember Muhammad Ali losing to Leon Spinks. And I remember like, you know, like, how could this possibly happen? You know, and that, you know, for a young MMA fan now, 13, 14, 15, some of the lads, maybe my wife's a teacher, and some of the lads might be in her class, you know. Um, sometimes I bring back the programs from Vegas and, you know, she gives them out as prizes for kids and reading competitions, that kind of thing, if they do their homework. And, you know, for guys are looking at that, going, no, he can never win. But all our heroes have feet of clay. Yeah. And, you know, they're like politicians. They never know when to get out. There are so few fighters who've ever walked away. I mean, Ali, at the end, it was embarrassing. You know, I mean, I found it so tragic. And so, you know, it was so sad to see such a great boxer. You just don't have it anymore. And I don't think that Khabib wants to be that guy. I don't think that he wants anybody looking at him going, you know, he does enjoy the fact that people fear him. Absolutely. He does enjoy the fact that, you know, the lightweight division is basically closed until he sort of retires at the moment is the way we all look at it because he was just so dominant in his last couple of fights and the way he beat Connor over four rounds. I mean, that was a beating. That wasn't just, you know, choked him out after 40 seconds. Like, But that was a beatdown that, that Connor was subjected to there. And that's the thing. But when that ebbs, because it always does, you know, the NBA season is just over and I was listening to and watching a lot of NBA. You have Shaquille O'Neal, who was absolutely unstoppable at the peak of his powers. But by the time he was leaving the LA Lakers and Kobe Bryant, he was kind of on, you know, that, that sort of curve that the Khabib might just be on now. And it's sad, but it's one of those things that, you know, it, it, it comes to us all. No champion reigns forever, not in darts or snooker or golf mm-hmm. or any less physical sport, and certainly not in boxing or in MMA. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, and it's an interesting one as well, but uh, that's that's a conversation that I think maybe we'll have over the next few years. I don't think he's there there yet. And I think this fight is as well, especially maybe just talk about the fight itself. It's such an interesting fight because look, we, we, uh, there's there's no prizes for guessing what I'm going to say next. Habib is obviously a, a fantastic wrestler. Justin Gaethje has a wrestling background uh, and is a very good wrestler as well and is obviously a very, very good striker. But looking at this matchup, right, I've, I've talked about Habib for years and years. Obviously, you know, fighting Conor McGregor, did big breakdowns of that fight and spoke about it you know over and over and over for weeks uh i feel like the way to beat habib Nurmagomedov is there's two ways to beat him right the first thing you must do against habib Nurmagomedov is be confident because if you go in there and you're not confident enough to land your shots or take your chances or seize your openings you're beaten you're done against habib because i watched back to the uh the paria fight Poria made one little mistake, went, went against the cage once, and basically, you know, he had some st- things after that, but basically from that point, Habib took you down, he takes the air from you, and he wins the fight, McGregor threw the knee, Habib took him down, took the air from him, okay, McGregor came back and had a good, what was a third round, but Habib won that fight from that second on. You know, he goes in there and he plays with guys. Then after that, we saw the Ayaquinta fight. He did that him for the first couple of rounds. Even the Ayaquinta came out awkward, um, and and he just kind of played with him on striking. After he took him down for a couple of rounds as, as well. So I think the first thing Gaethje has to go do is be be confident in what he's doing. Now, I think that's actually more important than what he has to do. What he has to do, in my opinion, and actually it's funny enough, I, the last Bellator uh, event, I, I was sitting in a bar with Josh Thompson and we were talking about this. And obviously Josh has trained with the Habib and being an AKA a, a kind of team member with, with him and stuff. And I was saying, like, I always thought the way to beat Habib is to go forward and 
stop him getting a look at his takedowns. You know, you see some mm. players like in, in soccer, like a, a Perlo, he like to have the, the look in front of him and see what's going on in front of him and get past the balls over the top. Whereas some people like, you know, whoever it might be, Marcus Rashford, like to, to look behind him and see the balls coming over the I always thought Habib is the guy who likes to see it in front of him. If you give him space, he'll break that space and he'll come in and take you down. Whereas It'll be harder for him if you have. Go- you obviously need a lot to do this, but you need really good striking. You need really good takedown defense. But if you push him forward, you and you make him struggle for that takedown in that area, I think it's a, a better way than standing back, throwing shots from the outside, maybe throwing leg kicks, and letting Habib come across, run forward, and try to take you down. Because Habib is excellent at that. People might forget it because, you know, you see that the really good takedowns and the really good ground game of Habib. But his ability to cut off the cage, his ability to rush people and get close to them is second to none. It's absolutely brilliant. So I think uh, it's very hard to stop that. So I think you put yourself close to him in a certain way. You put yourself... Like, uh, I always remember Gregor talking about a fight in Chad Mendes, and he said, when you... You know, people ask him, is he going to kick against uh, um, Mendes? And he goes, there's no problem kicking, but you have to kick so hard and so quickly that the kick is down before they see it coming. You know, you have yeah. to kick him. And it's, I think that's what Gaethje needs to do. He needs to get in quickly, be confident, land his strikes, and most importantly, take his openings. Watching the Tony Ferguson fight, he took his openings so well. And I, by openings now, I don't mean, you know, he sees a neck take, a rear neck, a choke, or he gets a big knockout or anything like that. I mean, if the leg kick is open, go for the leg if the body is open hit the body if the head is open hit the head if you need to throw one two three to get to the head do that and get quickly back out again that's i think that's you know it might seem very you know simple and very like non-technical in terms of like exact uh exact things to do but i think against habib and i'll throw it over to you in a second but i think the exact thing you need to beat habib is fundamentals if you have fundamentally good takedown defense like Gleason T. Bow, Bow had, like Conor McGregor had in the third round against him. Go back, anyone watch the third round against Conor McGregor. I talk about it on the rewatch all the time when we're doing it. The overhook on one side and the wrist control on the other side. Israel Adesanya has become a world champion because of that technique, because he can stop people from taking him down against the cage. If he gets close, you pull him against the cage, overhook on one side uh, and control the wrist on the other side and never give up on it. Do that for the whole time. Stop him from taking you down and push back out and in attack with your striking and if it gets to that position again do the exact same thing again you have to be strong you have to be willing to and able to do it you have to have unbelievable cardio but if you're going to beat Habib Nurmagomedov it's going to take a world-class performance in all areas can Justin Gaethje do that absolutely he can absolutely do it could uh, could Dustin Poirier do it? Absolutely. Could Conor McGregor do it? Absolutely. But do you know what? None of them have done it. Can Justin Gaethje do it? Will he do it? We'll see. I, I'm really, I'm really, really looking forward to this fight because he ha- he showed against Tony Ferguson that he has that quality in that area where you need to attack and you need to be confident in, in your attacks. And I think that's the most important thing, but Habib's a different story. Uh, what, what do you think of this fight and how, how do you... Danny, the points there, do I think, do you think that I went mad on or anything, but how do you think it'll go? No, no. Like, I think when you isolate that idea of it has to be... You have to be fundamentally so solid if you're going to be Habib. And we we can actually point to the mistakes that every single fighter made and say, at this point, this is where it started to go wrong, right? So when Conor Trudeau in the first round was taken down, right? It's Now, I know it took until the fourth round to end the fight but because he's crushing your gas tank and he's taking your energy and he's making you work from under with all that pressure on you that's where it starts to go wrong it's like a video game when you see you know you're up against the boss and you see the thing the bar going 
down. That's what happened to Connor there. And it's happened in every single one of his fights. But I think one of the things that we underestimate about him is how he watches the opponent's footwork, right? Mm-hmm. So his takedowns are so quick. When he dives, when he goes for his double leg or single leg or whatever leg, he usually goes for a double leg and he'll take whatever he can get after that. But when he dives on those, right, he does it very, very specifically when they're in no man's land. Usually when they're flat, like for the split second that they're flat on both feet, he'll dive, right? Because that's the time where you can't go either left or right. If your balance is over yeah. your center line, right? If it's pointing down towards the floor. And he is so good at hitting that, right? But now I would wonder, I, I suspect, I'm trying to work out, does Gaethje have, because he's done so much rest on himself. You know, if you look at, uh, at tie boxers or kickboxers, right, they're usually standing on the back leg because they don't want the front leg rooted to the floor. Because if you're, you're waiting your front leg, you can't pull it up to check kicks, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when it really hurts. So they stand on the back foot all the time. But if you do that against Khabib, he's just going to bull rush it, you know? Yeah. So it's this idea of wrestling footwork, not boxing footwork, but wrestling footwork that's actually going to get him, like that'll give him the chance to survive. And the other thing is exactly as you say, what you do up against the cage is absolutely key, right? So Dustin got backed up against the cage and that wasn't what he needed at that point in time. He didn't have the answer. But with uh, Gaethje, I don't think Gaethje's afraid. And I also don't think that um, like what what he can do on the inside is very similar to what Tony Ferguson can do on the inside. So Gage is so creative a striker that he can go, okay, if, what, have I a short elbow here? You know, have I mm-hmm. can I the heel of my hand? Can I yeah. can I use anything whatsoever to, to cause damage here? In the same way that Connor did with, with Donald Cerrone, he said, okay, a shoulder strike is here. Well, then I'm taking that. You know, mm-hmm. now Connor never really got into those positions against Khabib, but they're the kind of things that you have to do. And that goes back to what you were where you started about confidence. You cannot lose it. I got the feeling that once Dustin was taken down. You know, and in the same way with with Connor as well, because they'd worked so hard not for that not to happen. You know, to have a fight maybe where you were on the outside or where you were moving in and out quickly at angles and that. You know, mm-hmm. but the other thing that is underestimated about Khabib is his understanding of angles, especially up against the cage, yeah. in terms of him making you bear his weight. So you mentioned Adesanya there, uh, there and the overhook on one side and wrist control on the other, right? But with everything in jujitsu, with everything in wrestling, that you know, when it's not working, change the angle. And Khabib mm-hmm. is absolutely masterful at it, and he'll do it with you noticing right so the pressure will change from being you know front on pressure shoulder pressure on your chest to front on pressure which is effectively his shoulder just under your arm just coming in under your into your armpit there and if you look back at those fights on that level again it's incredible how well he understands these things and he's not going to use that he might not use that for 40 seconds but then there's an ankle pick after that or something and it really is so incredible to see and this is what I love about you is the fact that you go back and you watch, watch these fights again and again and again and when I go back and watch them I see new things yeah. every single time because we're looking to see what it is that makes him so dominant and it is these details these small little details now just in Gaethje obviously uh, you know being okay if you put him number two or number five as a top lightweight he's still one of the best yeah, lightweights in the world yeah. he has people around and he has that understanding you know he he's forgotten more about MMA and wrestling than I will ever know about the sport mm-hmm. and I would hope that he can bring that with him into the octagon and I would hope that that knowledge is at his fingertips as he's making these decisions up against the cage or in the center of the cage as he's you know trying to solve the puzzle in front of him that is Khabib. Yeah, I I I wonder will get you go for the takedown like you know, I think it'd be very interesting. Now it might be foolhardy, but it might be an interesting thing thing to do. Like I'm confident here. I believe I can beat you in every run. You know McGregor after that fight, he said he went in there with more of a you know a negative um a negative camp for that fight more than anything else. I'm I'm talking about defense here and not offense. I think against yeah. Habib you need that. The thing about one last thing maybe against Habib but before we move on maybe from this fight and talk about a couple of the other fights. You mentioned you mentioned his shoulder pressure there. I've done you know the, the rewatch uh, over on Patreon. We've been doing it for what maybe two years now, and I've probably done 
you know, three or four Habib fights, and I might do another one this week. But if you look at any of the old Habib fights, there's two things on the ground that make him special. And maybe you know we don't talk maybe often enough about the the ground game and, and things like that because it's it's I suppose more intricate and more you know uh, you know different from the the striking. You can kind of obviously see what's happening in the striking more. But if you look at Habib, and you don't have to be I'm no expert you know on this, but if you look at him. His hips and his shoulder. He's either controlling you with the weight of his hips and the downward pressure, or he's controlling you with the weight and downward pressure of his shoulder with his whole body pushing you down. And he's just so hard to get off you in that position that you need to avoid it at all costs. You really <laughs> need to avoid it at all costs. But uh, yeah, look, I, I'm really looking forward to it. The thing, the thing about it is, I, I, you know, we've said it for a long time. How are you going to beat Habib? Someone who's as good as at wrestling as him and who's a, a, a small bit better of a striker, you know? Now, we have someone who might not be as good as wrestling as him but is a very good wrestler, but in my opinion, is a lot better of a striker. And not to say Habib striking isn't good either because we saw what he did to Conor McGregor, you know? He almost knocked him spark out. Um, so, you know, and, and he jabbed Eli Quint up for a couple of rounds as well. So if this is a five-round fight on the feet, you know, I think get you to win, don't get me wrong, but Habib is no mug there either. So, like, it's a, it's a great fight all around it's it's one of the and it's great to see a lot of these lightweight fights kind of coming around now it looks like mcgregor is going to fight poria which you know we'll we won't talk about today but we'll obviously talk about a lot in in days to come and you know tony ferguson's looking for a fight i know he, who he's going to fight but uh you know there's some great fights coming up in in what's the best division in terms of quality i think in the world uh so i'm i'm really looking forward to this and uh i uh you know we, uh, who, i'd probably pick happy but you know, Gaethje has his chance. He definitely has his chance. Um, let's talk about a couple of the other fights in that. A couple of names. Umar Nurmagomedov is on this fight as well in the undercard. I love the fight between Nathaniel Wood and Casey Kenny uh, in the early prelims. And this, I, I was actually as well, we forgot to mention it. This is a 7 p.m. pay per view card here in oh, Ireland and the UK. You. So thank you. We'll have, we'll have to pay for it, uh, you know, or find other means to watch it. Maybe fly to America. Oh no, it's still pay per view there, but yeah, it'll be uh, that'll be good. Joel Alvarez, who fought um, Joseph Duffley, I believe, in his last fight, looked very good. He's fighting Alexander Yakovlev. I love that fight. Very good. Sam Alvey's there as well. Alex Oliveira's on the card. Stefan Struve versus Tai Tuivasa on the undercard. Phil Hawes as well. This is a guy, I don't know if you, you know him that well, Phil, but he is a guy who has been around for a good while now and I remember when he came came up for us I, I believe it's the guy he's Jackson Winklejohn and everyone said he's the next guy this is the next John Jones this is the next Rashad Evans whoever <laughs> it might be and now he's getting his chance you know he had a few setbacks lost and I think he lost was it on tough he lost or in the contender series but he came back and I believe he won in the contender series as well and now this is his big chance again in the UFC so interesting to see how he looks uh, Magomed Ankalaya versus Kutilaba that's a rematch after their first fight was stopped uh, quickly by, by my boy Kevin McDonald uh, Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris in a big heavyweight fight maybe the one we'll talk about a little bit then Robert Whitaker versus Jared Cannonier. I think this is a an interesting fight. If you look at the fight, fighter A versus fighter B, Cannonier, a long, big strike, moves around, a madman, and we Robert Whitaker go forward nonstop. Like this is fight at night written all over it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure who's who's going to win it. Like Cannonier, Cannonier, I believe he came down from um, and. I, from heavyweight, I believe, didn't he? And he fought a light heavyweight anyway. But he, you know, he yeah. fought Anderson Silva and all. He's a really, really, you know, strong, good, you know, strong everywhere. And if Robert Whitaker can come in here and be Cannoneer after Israel Adesanya called him out not too long ago, it's going to be hard to deny Whitaker that fight if this John Jones um, fight doesn't happen with Robert Whitaker. What, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, 
our, our John Jones fight doesn't have happen with Adesanya. Sorry, what are your what are your thoughts on that Cannonier Whitaker fight and anything else in your no, regard? The, the, that's one of those that you know when they put but you, this is what the matchmakers get paid for, you know, because like you say, that, this has a fight and night written all over it, you know. And you're just thinking if it's if Whitaker can make it into a brawl, well, they're great. Then he's going to win it, you know. But Cannonier is so you know, like I say, so good on the deck, you know. It, I love it when you have two fighters, kind of like that in the in the main event as well, where you have two fighters and you know kind of what to expect from them going in there, and you know that the other guy knows as well, you know. So the, mm-hmm. when, there's going to be no surprises in there, but it's just who can drag that fight to where they want it to happen, you know? And that's why, like, Whitaker's one of those guys is always really entertaining, but Cannoneer's, like, you know, his rise has been sort of really good as well. It's been sort of exciting to watch. And when they're rising into that now, because they're so, you know, it's so thin at the top, like you were saying, with lightweight, you can look and you can see five or six or seven fighters in there that you think, yeah, put any one of them against up against any other one, and you think that's pretty good. But middleweight's not like that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Light heavyweight is kind of like that, basically because John Jones has removed himself yeah. from the picture temporarily you know and that's uh, Ankalaya fight against Kudalaba that's one of those you know fellas jockeying for position mm-hmm. I mean you have Alexander Volkov in there as well at heavy, heavyweight I just really like he's just a really nice bloke and every time he speaks to me he apologizes for his English it's fucking better than ours Sean you know <laughs> it would be hard for him <laughs> exactly you know but to see him in there against Walt Harris now I think the last time I saw Volkov fight in person he was knocked out and you know I don't know what it is like you know but you do actually feel sorry for people mm-hmm. you know we're very sort of uh, cold and calculated when it comes to watching these fights but I remember it happened to um it was a Magnus Blood uh, was knocked out in Belfast and he was knocked out really, really badly at one mm-hmm. of the UFC cards in Belfast. And I remember feeling sorry for him at the time and I didn't see him then until some jiu-jitsu competition here in Stockholm afterwards. And you still, like, it was that bad a knockout, you still wanted to say to him two months later, God, Jesus, man, I was sorry to see a knockout. Yeah. No, you don't because he doesn't fucking want to be reminded of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I felt sorry for Volkov that night. But he's one of those guys as well that, you know, when you look at him, heavyweights are different because like you say, you were saying, uh, I can't remember who was your saying, fights like a flyweight there, but when you have these big guys who who, who can do that like Volkov is you know he's not the fastest in the world but he is a very well-rounded fighter as well mm-hmm. and he, he struck me previously as being one of those guys that I don't know if he's too laid back I don't know if he doesn't have the belief in himself to sort of to really make it into the top echelon of the heavyweight division and start mixing himself up there mm-hmm. in uh, like he, he has absolutely no right to go calling for a title fight just yet but he's the kind of guy you look at and you go yeah well you, you know he could be good enough to do it you know but mm-hmm. he just hasn't certainly over the last year year and a half he hasn't shown enough to say that okay I, I think I belong in that sort of top two top three in that yeah. title discussion with heavyweight as well it's it's one of those where if he sticks in there long enough he probably will get a judging on yeah exactly everybody goes like, you know, D- Derek, the time of Derek Lewis that yeah. we witnessed over the last year it was he, just, he, like, he got know. one against Daniel Cormier nearly forget it but he did yeah so yeah, it's an yeah, it was a terrible fight he didn't belong there but at no, the same time you know really like you still you always have to have people come to, again I go back to the heavyweight boxing analogy there's been so many great and dominant champions in heavyweight boxing in the in the 50s the 60s the 70s which you still had to put guys up in front of them and it's the same thing with Khabib now you know Dustin Poirier went in there gave it his best shot Connor did that as well now it's Gaethje's turn we still probably all want to see Tony Ferguson do it although that will never happen you know mm. but it, that's the thing you want to really see them put up against different people you know Cormier yeah. was good for that because at heavyweight and light heavyweight you know we saw him fight a variety of different fighters Indeed, you know? yeah. and Volkov could be one of those I don't think he's ever going to do it I don't think he's ever going to stand there with that belt around him you never know with heavyweights mm-hmm. because you know absolutely anything can happen one mm-hmm. smack and that's it It's they have so much power you know but that's um, Ankalaev Kudalaba fight that's an interesting one as well because again they're not in the in the top echelon of the, of the heavyweights but they're jostling for position like to get in there yeah, and that's one of those divisions that, I don't know 
you know, when you think about it, it's kind of like a golfer on, a, you know, when they're t- taking a swing on a fairway at the moment. You know, you're sort of putting your finger in your mouth and holding it up to judge the wind because I don't even know where the light heavyweight division is at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, with most divisions, you can say, oh, this is the champion. This is where it's going. These people are involved. I don't have that feeling with light heavyweight now since Jones said yeah. he wasn't going to fight anymore. Call Bla- me a retired. Blahovic won the know. title. You'd nearly forget it. Like, <laughs> a couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. It's just weird. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that, I don't know. It, it's by no means he's a, he's a worthy champion. Anybody who has a UFC belt is a worthy champion. But it's just, do you remember a few years ago when Gustafsson, Cormier and Jones were at the top yeah. of it and people were trying to, you know, there were no's around it, but no, they were the top three mm-hmm. dogs and it was like that for two or three years. And now it's not like that, you know, do in you know, the same that way. That might be a bad yeah. thing though. Like it happened to Welterweight when GSP went, we had some great fights. Exactly, you know, Robbie yeah. Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, Rory McDonald in there with him and, you know, there were some great fights there. So maybe, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing. And, and you actually, you get fellas going to that weight specifically for that yeah. reason. You know, mm. so you might get heavyweights coming down or you might get welterweights going up, you know, Middle like in the, even, the yeah. Darren Tills of this world, just to see where the greatest opportunity. And that makes it fascinating. Yeah, you know? Indeed. Uh, one last thing before we go, Phil, thank you very much for your time. I And before I actually hand it over to myself to talk about last night's card, there was a, a little, there was a bit of an open scoring talk yesterday on Twitter. So I have to just mention it here because... I, I and I I give you my opinion here rather than like some journalistic uh whatever you want to do. I think open scoring is such a fucking terrible idea in MMA. <laughs> it, it is like the worst possible. Tell, tell idea. us how you really feel, John. <laughs> right. So open if people don't know what open scoring is, right? After every round they say the scored round, so they could say 10-9, 10-9, 9-10. After the next round they could say 19-19, or whatever it might be, right? And I was making about there's there's a few different people who it would change the world for right the cornering team, the fans in attendance, the fighters in the cage, and the judges right. For the cornering team, I think it's it's good for the cornering team. It's better for the cornering team to give their personal advice to tell them what to do in the fight. For the fighters, if you're ahead, if you're behind, I think it it kind of counters itself out. It might be positive for one, negative for another. One will fight negatively, one will fight more positively, maybe or more attacking, which. Will ha- I think will just you know cut out the effect? Will will have a, the the exact same effect in both ways? So why change it? Um, and if anything, will lead to more negative fights. I would think for the crowd and for the corners then as well. When you kind of put them together and look for the judges. So right, let's say Paddy Pym that's fighting in Liverpool, right? And there's two close rounds, and he's fighting Brendan Lachnan. And after the second round, we're going into the third round, and it's a three round fight, and the, it comes out over the loudspeakers, and it goes. Um, 2018, 2018, 2018, all for Lachnan. Imagine the reaction of the crowd. Imagine the reaction of the cornering team. And imagine sitting there being that judge with that amount of abuse, or those three judges, that abuse behind you, and you're listening to that. And then, forget about the abuse, but imagine that abuse being given to you, and then you have to judge the third round. Imagine that, like the most important thing, and I've talked about, maybe people don't think about judging as much as, as I do or don't look into it as much as I do, but I've talked to judges over the last year, had been cartilage on the podcast a number of times, and the one most important thing for a judge and what sets someone judging the fight and watching the fight like that, apart from us at home, is concentration. They're sitting there and they're watching fighter A and they're watching fighter B. I'll Me and you this weekend at, at uh, half nine in the evening, it'll be great, we'll be watching Habib Ramagamedov versus Justin Gaethje, but the three people sitting in those seats around the cage will be watching blue corner and red corner and they would be concentrating on who lands what punches at what time mm. we we should do everything we can to help them to get that score as accurate as it possibly can be and open scoring will undoubtedly lead to that not happening even just hearing your score between rounds and changing the game will change that do you know what lot uh, what it'll also do 
it'll also stop people from taking up judging because why it's already a pressurized game you know i had been cartilage on in, in, in the podcast and we were talking about he did the fight adesanya versus whitaker i believe wasn't it or maybe adesanya, one of the adesanya fights over and over in uh over in uh, down under and there was mm. a punch at the very end of a very close round and it knocked someone down and in your opinion right there means am i going to give this a 10-9-1 way or am i going to give it a 10-9 the other way and that's pressure right there you have huge pressure already on you why would you want to put bigger more pressure on those people in that situation why would you want to do it like what benefit is it going to have it's it might benefit the corners okay fair enough will it benefit the fighters in the cage and the fight like i think the fight itself i've talked about it non-stop over the last maybe six months about mma being an exciting sport I and mean, it's built on excitement and we need to keep the sport more exciting will it make the sport more exciting I would argue it'll make it less exciting because people will fight more negatively. Uh, some people will fight more positively, undoubtedly. There might be some better fights. There might be some worse fights. If At worst, you can say it'll be in the middle. But it 100% undeniably will affect judging and make it worse. And do we want that? Do we like what's what's your why do people who argue for open scoring want open scoring? I think most people would say because uh, they want judging to get better and they they want the people in the fight to know what's happening. I think it will just have an adverse reaction on every single one of them, apart from the cornering part. And I think we need the cornering. Look, if you're talking about the fight itself, the judging and the cornering, I think the fight and the judging are the two most important parts and the cornering is third. So if you're hurting the two, of the, the one and two to get three a little bit better, I just think you're doing it the wrong way. And any any thoughts on the, the, the whole situation? Yeah, no, like literally, the only thing I would say it's good for is if the corners know who's winning going into the final round or whatever. And you know what, Sean? If you're any good, you know whether your exactly. fighter is winning or not, right? Exactly. So you know, and that's it. and you can fool yourself. You can think, oh, you know, my man won that round, mm-hmm. as well. my woman won that round because it was a close round, that kind of thing. So you know, you you know your own inherent biases, but you know, you know, whenever how many times have we heard it, you need a knockout, yeah. you need something here, or you need to take it easy here because you've got this fight in the bag already. We, we've we've heard those things before, so they know these things, you know. So the, like the idea, I mean, people be lynched, like you know, Ben Cartage be lynched if people are saying before the final round, you know, the booing and the throwing of beer and everything else like that you know and and again it would be great if everybody knew and understood what they were talking about that Absolutely, would be great yeah. but they fucking don't you mm-hmm. know and we see that time and time again you know I know it drives you demented oh, every time you treat about judging I'm in there talking about late takedowns <laughs> just to wind people up but me, there are still people like, yeah, well mostly you but you know you understand but there's yeah. still people there going you know oh is that a thing no <laughs> fuck you know, I've actually stopped doing it now because I figured if people looked at that they'll think that I actually believe this you know but this is the thing that you know if you're dealing with a sport where and the other thing is that it's all we have to remember this is subjective mm-hmm. right so people sitting on different side of the case and I won't see a certain shot from a certain angle and I won't take that but it could have been a, a liver shot that really rocked somebody and I haven't I just haven't seen it from where I am you know mm-hmm. so it's really difficult and like I say we should be trying to decrease the pressure on judges, right? Absolutely. We should be trying to make things as clear as possible for them, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately they're the ones who are, and because we actually owe it not to the judges, we owe it to the fighters, okay? Yeah. Anything we can do to make judging easier is going to make life easier for the fighters and we're going to get, you know, better outcomes in those fights. So they're the only people we should th- be thinking of is first the fighters and then the judges. What I think and what the fans think after that, that's entirely irrelevant. 
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Philip, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Follow him over on Twitter, Philip O'Connor uh, over there. Philip Blan, I believe it is, isn't it, over on Instagram and all of his good work. Uh, our man in Stockholm. Anything else? Anything else I'm missing out on uh, over uh, Patreon? N- yeah. Not just yet. Call me next week and I'll have another one. I'll break a bit of news here, right? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I like that. It's okay, all okay, happening here, mate. Let's do it. Uh, thanks, everyone. And now I'm going to throw it over to Sean Sheehan to talk about man, last Sean. night's fights. Take it away, Sean. Thank you very much, Shani. Before we get into the fights last night, just a quick reminder again that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by my bookie. So if you sign up today in my bookie, you use our promo code Severe MMA, you can claim a deposit match dollar for dollar, euro for euro, up to a thousand bucks. So if you bet fucking 500 quid next week on Habib, they will match it and you will get all that money as a match bet on the fights next week. Uh, they have loads of stuff over there, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast. Soccer, MMA, the whole lot. You know, so if you want to bet, bet on Man United, Habib, whoever's fighting next week, you know, there's a pretty good card coming up next week. And we discussed earlier on, if you want any of that, go over, head on over to my bookie, use the promo code Severe MMA. If you sign up there, look, you'll be helping us. You'll be helping yourself. You get a, a, a matched uh, bet. So, uh, yeah, all good. Use a promo code SEVERM over on my bookie. Right, uh, so let's talk about the fights that happened here. Just, it's, what time is it now? It's quarter past three, actually, which is actually unbelievably not so bad <laughs> when it comes to, like, MMA fights. And it was a pretty, you know, a pretty eventful top of the card, anyway. And the bottom of the card was, uh, you know, there were some big knockouts and stuff like that on it. Um... So I suppose look some of the fights on the on the main card. We had uh, Jonathan Martinez, Tomas Almeida, Almeida coming back obviously after some time out lost thirty twenty seven all three rounds, and we had James Kraus one thirty. 27 all three rounds against Claudio uh, Silva in the opening two fights uh, on the card so they were uh, you know pretty good performances from from both guys um then on the undercard you had uh, Matthias Gamrot versus Kudeladze it was a real battle you know kind of a relatively close decision it was a split decision that one fight could have gone either way uh, round one kind of up in the air round two Kutalaza round three Gamrat I think most people were kind of uh, saying as I was just kind of tuning in here after the, the, the uh, true balls thing uh, earlier on so a close one that but I think you know for having watched it having three quarters of an eye on it I think um, uh, I think it was the right decision there and Kutalaza won that one uh, Julian or Julian Robertson even put on a, uh, a dominant display before that. I think uh, Ian O'Neill have it up on the front page by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, not a great fight. Uh, she took her down in each round. Ian says and uh, a little stand up happened in the fight, but Robertson Robertson won the the unanimous decision. Uh, then the Jung Young Park fight. I watched that one as well and you know, dominated. John Phillips took him down in each round. Uh, won thirty twenty five in all three cars. So that's pretty solid judging uh, there. I must say so. Really really good. Uh, judging uh, there on that one. Uh, then we had, I suppose, the, the the close, maybe not contentious, but the the one people talked about the Faras Ziam versus Jamie Malarkey fight. Uh, round one and two, I think it was one for Ziam, two for Malarkey. Pretty straightforward. And the third one was the the close one, uh, where Ziam landed the better strikes on the feet for the the first minute. Uh, and then Malarkey got the takedown, if I'm not mistaken, and landed on top, but didn't really do enough. It's one of these ones where. Uh, you know, the revised criteria really helps the judges with that one. And it was unanimous 29-28 uh, decision. I haven't seen the, the scorecards, but I'd imagine it was all scoring the third round for ZM. So, you know, 
maybe you don't like the way that scored but if you're talking about the criteria and how it's written and how you should properly score fights by those criteria that was one of the, those examples of that so uh under that then we tired Nuragamedov getting a good ko and then uh, max grishin got a bit of a comeback there and tagulov was winning that one and grishin came back and caught him uh, at the end of the second round and to win that one uh, so, uh, what did I mention? Martinez and Kraus won in the, the, the top two. Then Jimmy Cruz. This was a really, really, really good finish from Jimmy Cruz. It was one of those ones where, you know, we talk all the time. I did a, It was the McGregor-Diaz fight I did the rewatch on this week. And we talked about, I talked about McGregor countering the jab. And if you have to kind of, when you're countering the jab, you have to kind of counter with a straight shot, but kind of lobbed over the top of the jab. And that's exactly what we saw here from Jimmy Crute. And, you know, an astute brute is Jimmy Crute. And a beautiful shot right over the top of that uh, jab from Jimmy Crute. Countered him. And do you know what I loved the most about it? I loved how Crute landed that second shot. Because there's a coolness there in that second shot. When you throw that second shot, when you land it, that not many fighters have. When that coolness and the insanity that very few fighters actually have. And Jimmy Crew was able to do it. So absolutely brilliant stuff there by Jimmy Crew. You know, Bukowski's a really good fighter. Former cage warrior champion. Uh, been around for a long time. And he'll be back again, you know, Bukowski's a good fighter. But Jimmy Crew is on the way to the top. You know, really, really, really good. Uh, so fantastic from him. And then Jessica Andrade as well. You know, just kind of... I was watching this and everyone was saying before, oh, Caitlin Chukagan has like an 8-inch height advantage. And I was like, "There's a okay, there's a height advantage, but you have Jessica Andrade, who is just a way better fighter than Chukagan. And every shot she hit her with, you could see the difference. Like, I was, I had kind of my tweet ready for the end of the round. It ended with three seconds left, but I had my tweet ready. I was like, uh, every shot that Andrade left was significant. You know, it was immediately impactful. When we talk about significant strike in the, uh, strikes in MMA, there's this stupid stats they put up. But the significance, landing a strike that is actually significant, Andrade landed all of them in this 4 minutes and 57 seconds, and especially at the end where she stopped it. It says TKO body punches here, but there was a lot more kind of before that kind of lead, led to this. Uh, Andrade kind of just won that so easily, and you know, at that flyweight division, she has to be a contender there as well, so fantastic uh, there from uh, Andrade. And then Brian Ortega. What can I say about Brian Ortega? I think I tweeted um, that this was the best five-round performance we've seen this year. Now, we had Gaethje as well against uh, against Tony Ferguson. Absolutely, Was that this year? I think it was. Absolutely fantastic. But it's hard to look past this. I put out a tweet, who's Ortega training with? I had a... Uh, uh, Brandon Gibson replying he spent a lot of time with Cub Swanson and Juan Arquileta uh, there was a few more people said stuff uh, as well his Muay Thai coach was Jason Park who was winning him in his corner I believe uh, and this was I don't know if I've ever seen a fighter change so much between fights and become like I was talking to Andy Stevenson over and he called him Floy but I think it was maybe the, the opposite to Floy but it was Floy in kind of a technical way he was I've never seen a fighter become like a technical monster who dominated a technical fight almost overnight. And I know Ortega's been out a good while and he's probably been doing this non-stop for 18 months or for a year or whatever. But it's overnight in terms of from his fight to his next fight. And this is why I always say, we, you know, we talked about it probably a little bit earlier with myself and Jeremy, or Jeremy, uh, Phil, sorry. I know I've recorded a good while now, but I find it very easy to look at what happens in a fight. I can you show me Ortega's fight from last fight and this fight that happened on Saturday night and I can tell you what happened the different how he looked in that fight how he looked in this fight the changes what happened 
the problem what we can see is evident in this fight what they do between fights so predicting what's going to happen for fights is very 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 tough now if you have some inside information or if you know or if someone fighting very quick my bookie's the place to do it and win some money at but this is why uh mma at times is so unpredictable because if someone like brian ortega comes out here and looks a different fighter like in round one he just landed all the shots was just better than uh than tkz and i tweeted at the time it came up in the broadcast it's a dangerous game going toe to toe with the korean zombie but it wasn't. Brian Ortega dominated. Closer second round. But then the big spinning elbow from Ortega knocked the Korean zombie down. He almost woke up at the Korean zombie. Because Chan Sung Jung kind of came out after that. For It was, it was nearly in the round. But he, like five or six seconds maybe. And he landed a nice shot. Looked sharp in that time. But then uh, Ortega pushed him against the cage. Got a little bit of a takedown. And kind of took that away from him. And to me that was the only flash of light for the Korean zombie in the whole fight. Third round. It was, again, a different thing. You know, he started attacking the body. started kicking from long. He was different in each round Brian Ortega was. This was not just a guy coming out with a uh, a game plan and a very good game plan to beat a specific guy. This was a guy with well-rounded skills who fought in a different way in almost each round. The, in the in the fourth round, he rammed him in with a takedown at one stage. He caught him up, just landed all the shots using his lint. And in the fifth, the jab, <laughs> the jab was amazing, just picking him apart. Like... He had so many different game plans in one fight. It was absolutely amazing. I don't know if I... You know, I, I've seen fights like this and fighters change up their style before uh, a few times. But I'm not sure like this at the highest level, at the very top level. A fighter who now we all want to see fighting Volkanovski. And we all want to see him in there uh, at the very, very top. Just a phenomenal performance. Didn't think Chan Sung Jung looked particularly great, I must say it that way. But he wasn't allowed to look great because of how good... Uh, that man was just absolutely brilliant and a fantastic uh, performance altogether from Brian Ortega. Can't say enough. Him versus Volkanovski, brilliant fight. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. Um, okay, one or two questions here before I go. Uh, Sound of Violence. Why book such a tough matchup for Gamrat's debut? Also, and more importantly, best beer to get trashed on. And he'd be a really, like, I know the boys over in the Sound of Islands are kind of beer experts. I'm absolutely not. I love a bit of harp or a bit of hiding and ending at all. So, um, that's for me. The Gamrat one, I, I, do you know what? Gamrat's a different one because he's 17 and all. He's a guy who's been around a long time. Put him in there against someone like Kuta Lads, I have no problem. You know, it's a tough fight for his debut. No problem. Um, look, he didn't win it and that's that. He'll come back again and he will fight, win fights. We saw it with... Um, Oh, what's her name? <laughs> um, the, the former KSW women. Everyone's probably roaring at me now, but she's Brazilian and I always think she's Polish. I can't remember her name, but her anyway. She like lost one of her early fights, I think, but she's bounced back and she's looking good now. Again, in the UFC, it might be a similar thing uh, for him. Uh, Mr. Podge, how is Sean Dini taking Gamrat's defeat? Sean Dini replies, not well. So there's the upgrade there. Uh, if McGregor and Paria fight at 170, should be irrelevant as Ali Abdelaziz wants it to seem absolutely not the mind uh, Ali Abdelaziz and last one here and we'll answer all the rest of them over in the Q&A uh, how does Ortega do against a more complex striker than Volkanovski you know that's a great great question and one that probably isn't uh, one that I'm going to answer specifically at 3.31am it'll be a great fight because now we don't know what Ortega will bring like I remember uh, Rosalind Yunus I always talk about her that she transitioned from a jiu-jitsu player to a technical striker and 
she kind of missed the in between parts, and then she brought him on, and she became a world champion. That's what Ortega needs to do. He needs to meld his jiu-jitsu plan with his striking plan, and if he can get the two of them together and be this, you know, adept striker, wrestler, jiu-jitsu player. That's what you need to be the best. And, you know, when you give up this old jiu-jitsu shite and realize it doesn't work, <laughs> look how good you can become. So absolutely fantastic uh, from Brian Ortega. Uh, brilliant, brilliant performance. And, uh, yeah, that's it um, for the podcast this week. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much to Phil earlier on as well. And as I said, if you want to help us, you know, survive <laughs> my bookie well that's right but uh flourish uh my bookie sign up promo code severe and may and uh, they'll match your bet thanks everybody for listening we'll see you all next time good luck